Hey, my name is Brian Golden. I'm the lead pastor of Centerpoint Church. And I just want to personally thank you for listening to our podcast. And I also want to invite you wherever you are around the country or in the Tampa Bay area to join our digital online campus at centerpointfl.org. And here's what you need to know. Our vision is to create an alternative to church as usual for all people. And all that means is, regardless of whether you've been a longtime follower of Jesus, you're new to faith, you're investigating faith, or you don't even know what you believe, our goal is for you to feel like you belong, even if you never believe. And so thank you again for listening, and I hope today's message encourages you and helps you. You guys good this morning? Yeah? So here's the thing about all of us, and I think I can say it's pretty confident. Uh, human beings love loopholes. Like we love workarounds, we love like escape clauses. I don't think it really said that. And if you don't, I'm, I'm assuring you, you have examples, whether it's the tax code that you've um, tried to work around, um, whether it is a big one, things that you've told your kids um, only later to try to get yourself out of is why the go-to for any question my kid asks is, we'll see because I'm not committing to anything. I can get out of that. I didn't really say that. That's not, you know. So like we all love loopholes and you know what a loophole is. It's escape clause. It's a workaround. Um, it, it's something that you can kind of manufacture to not do what you want to do. Uh, many of you did this growing up. Like, well, you asked if their parents were going to be home and they were in a week. So <laughs> we we're fine. Or you'd see the sign, like it said, no skateboards. And I, I only have one, so it's not plural. It didn't apply to me. Um, I'm not like particularly proud of this, so don't. But uh, in my first undergrad at a small liberal arts college, I was the king of loopholes and escape clauses. Because in my arrogant 20-something self, I, I just felt like some of the rules were really dumb. And now in you know, retrospect... Some of the rules were really, really dumb. And so when, when I was going there, I would, so they, they're like, hey, you gotta, you gotta sign into every fine arts event this semester. I'm like, okay. So I would go and sign into the fine arts event and then leave for the entire semester. Um, and I was like, well, you just said, you know, we needed to sign in, which I did. I swiped my card and then I didn't attend any of them. And so I would end up, not because of like huge act of rebellion, but because I'm con I was constantly looking for these escape clauses, I ended up in front of the demerit committee uh, more times than I want to um, recount to you, to the point of at one point they were like, have you, like, have you considered pre-law? <laughs> and I'm like, no, I'm going to be a, a pastor. So, um, <laughs> so I get this. I'm as guilty as anybody. And my point in all this is I think Christians can be the worst at times. Like we love loopholes. But actually in fairness, if you were to study any belief system or any religion, religion is like ripe for this. In fact, study other religions of the world. I was going to give you examples, but I'm not. But they, they almost have built-in loopholes into the system or into their theology of how to work around. I'm not sure it really says this because in any religion, you can always find a verse, right? You, you can always find somebody who agrees with you somewhere, even if it's an obscure blog written from somebody's basement. You can always find somebody who's going to agree with what you have to say. Or and Christians, I, we tend to just do this. We just somehow decide that Jesus didn't say that, whatever that is, and decide it doesn't apply to me. But we love loopholes. And here's the thing in terms of loophole Christians, which is what I'm going to call them for a few minutes in this message. A lot of times they love theology. 
but they don't love theology as like this study or pursuit to know God, which is what theology is, the, the pursuit of knowing God. They love theology in order to find escape clauses and loopholes to not doing what God called them to do. And all of a sudden, and again, this is get a little uncomfortable, you can build like barricades and you can build workarounds and you can build escape clauses. And some of you have experienced the version of Christianity where Christians can treat people horribly and somehow do it in Jesus' name because they've got a verse. They found a passage of scripture because ultimately that's where it leads you to. And, and as we've said in this series, the, the text suddenly become, can become weaponized. It can become a bat. It's why, as we said in the series, I'm not even sure Christian is the best term because in the first century, Christian was a derogatory term given by outsiders to this new kind of Jewish sect as they saw it to denote loyalty to Jesus. But it was used three times. Jesus never used it. And 2,000 years later, the term Christian means, means anything but loyalty to Jesus to a lot of people. So as we said in this series, follower of Jesus, which is what Jesus said, or disciple of Jesus, probably a better term. You get away with a lot less crap when you start talking about following Jesus. Because here's the thing, man, like you can kind of get into this place if you're a Jesus follower, if you're not asking the right questions, you will ultimately misapply the scripture. Because Jesus followers ask different questions from, I wonder what I can get by with. I wonder how I can ignore them, not forgive them, and still feel justified and like God's cool with me. I wonder what like the, the lowest common denominator is. Like Jesus followers ask different kind of questions because if you ask those questions and that's the brand of Christianity you operate under, guess what? You'll get by with all kinds of stuff. I mean, let's just be real for just a second. If you're listening somewhere via radio or podcast right now, watching online in the house, I mean, look at Christian history. And to be fair, because I'm a student of this, I love like reading about it, studying it for a lot of years now. There's a lot of really great things, maybe surprising to some of you. And then there's a lot of horrible points in Christian history what, around what I would call loophole Christians, where they've literally taken passages and verses to justify the persecution of people, people groups, ethnicities, races in the name of Jesus. Mistreatment of women, LGBTQ plus community, whole groups of people like justifying, mistreating, and unloving people that they disagree with. And the way that you get to that place is just become a loophole Christians. And here's generally what loophole Christians do. They will constantly use the scripture rather than obeying the scripture. Amen. They know all of the verses about your sin. They know all the verses about your thing. And, and like, listen, before I don't, I just wanna make sure you know where I'm coming from. I get this, man. Like I'm, gonna, I'm hopefully gonna speak out of a place of weakness and humility because I've been this guy. It is so easy to start looking at not what has God called me to do in terms of following Jesus, but like how can I justify this? How can I get away with this? How can I do what I want to do? How can I leverage the text and still be okay with God? And come on, if you're not a Jesus follower and you're investigating and so many of you have via the series, whether online or in the house, like this is the part of Christianity maybe that you've resisted. And what we said throughout this series is this is the part that we should have resisted. Because when Jesus set up his brand new movement, this brand of Christianity, it was simple, but it was hard to live up to. I want you to love God and no more loving God by taking a sacrifice to a temple, checking off a box or singing some songs. Those are great. I want you to love God by loving your neighbor the way that I've loved you. And I want you to love God by loving your enemy 
because that's exactly what Jesus did. And now you're a follower of Jesus. And I think Jesus would say this, and don't you dare use my teaching as a means to create a loophole to justify your behavior. In fact, Jesus would um, encounter this all throughout the New Testament as you look at um, his ministry, specifically among the Pharisees or the religious leaders, because these guys were loophole experts. And I mean that, like read the New Testament. I mean, they were always finding workarounds and loopholes. Um, And here's what they would do is they would actually make up rules that weren't even the real rules. Like they made them up, it was their own tradition. And they were like rules to keep people from rules. So let me try to put it this way. Some of you grew up with this. So you had rules in your household that were like layered rules and some of the top line rules were really dumb, but they weren't really the rule. It was just a rule to keep you from a rule. Anybody know what I'm talking about? So the real rule was not that you had to keep the lights on in the den when you had like your, you know, date over and your dad's like munching on Cheerios in the kitchen and it's awkward. And like, it wasn't cause you know, you just, they liked that ambiance in their house. It was a rule to keep you from another rule. Like the, the real rule, and, okay, let me think of another one. A real rule, <laughs> um, cause I realized that didn't help and nobody, um, the real rule was not that you couldn't take the SUV out on a date. The real rule was that you didn't end up in the back of the SUV at the end of the date. Was that a little too real? That's what happens when it's off the cuff. So my point is, you, you contextualize. Rules that were really to keep you from other rules that you didn't want to bend or somebody didn't want you to bend. This is what the religious leaders did. And here's what they did. They basically fell in love with the commands at the expense of the intent of the one who commanded them rather than loving the one who commanded them. And they would create all of these rules. And the rules over time became equal to God's authority. And yet God never said that. God never you know, mentioned that rule. God never added that to the list. And so I'm telling you what Jesus said is why it should bother us because this is still happening 2000 years later and it's so easy to happen in a religious system is that you create commands and they always change, mark it down with every generation according to every denomination depending on the area of the country that you live in. And the commands always tend to benefit the leader in order to control other people. They can always easily find workarounds to the commands, but then they they judge your behavior based off of them. And so Jesus encountered this all the time. So one day, the Pharisees, the religious leaders, confronted Jesus, and he kind of deals with this subject, and Jesus is a little in your face, as he often is. And so Matthew chapter 15, verse one, Matthew records this, interviewed eyewitnesses, you know, was they, you know, they saw all of this. And so Pharisees and the teachers of the law, verse one, came to Jesus from Jerusalem and asked, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? And what they're going to refer to is these rules, these traditions that they had made up. There was a lot of them, over 600 of them. These rules that they had made up is basically rules to keep people from rules. They had gained equal authority with what God had said. And so they say into verse 2, your guys, your disciples, your followers, Jesus, they don't wash their hands before they eat. And this is pre-COVID. So like, why is this even that big a deal to them, Right? And here's the thing, the priests, to give you a really summarized version, the priests had made all of these elaborate rules that would basically keep people from making themselves unclean, this whole washing ceremonial thing, so they wouldn't be ceremonially unclean. And a lot of Jews didn't even, weren't even accountable to this. But they had, they had set this standard as equal with everything that God had said, which was absolutely ridiculous. So they're like, why don't they wash their hands? And so verse three, Jesus replied, pause, 
Jesus replied, and I love Jesus' response. And if they were clued in, they would have just kind of dropped it right here because Jesus is like, okay, that's a great question. Thank you, God, for asking that question. Appreciate it. I'll try to um, provide some insight to that. And then Jesus is like, but before I answer your question, let me ask you a question. Let me answer your question with a question, which at that point they should have been like, nope, 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 nope. Done, not having this conversation. See you later, Jesus. Because every time Jesus answered somebody's question with a question, they ended up looking like a fool. And so at that point, they should be like, nope, not having this conversation. See you later. So Jesus is like, okay, great question. Let me answer your question with a question. And why do you break the command of God for the sake of your tradition? So you had a good question. Let me give you a question. Not, you know, not your tradition, not the rules that were made up, not, you know, your denominational insights or what they told you in Sunday school. I'm talking about the actual commands of God. Why do you break those before I answer your question about your traditions? Why do you break the commands of God? For God said, this is the Old Testament covenant that Jesus is referring to, honor your father and mother. And then the second part of it, and anyone who curses his father and mother must be put to death. Which if you're a parent, we're thankful that the second half of that command we don't apply anymore. <laughs> we're thankful mo most of the time. So Jesus is like, okay, like this is the Old Testament law which is very strategic that Jesus was referencing it because we looked at it in week one, Jesus came to fulfill that law. But he's like, listen, still the intent of the commander, the one who's told you all of this was to honor your father and mother. And the whole, we're gonna kill you, that's gonna go away because Jesus' new covenant command is gonna be, I want you to love other people the way that God has loved you. And honoring your father and mother is a big part of that. It's not an arbitrary rule. It's how you live out Jesus' command. So why do you guys not honor your father and your mother? Because that's really clear. I mean, all the traditional stuff about hand washing, I mean, are you serious? But the honoring your father and mother, that's what God has actually commanded and it's a joke to you. So why don't you honor your father and your mother instead, verse five, but you say, and now this is gonna get uncomfortable for some of it, but again, I'm, I'm, I'm right there because I've done this. I mean, not this particular thing, but the whole twisting scripture in order to justify your own behavior or to not do what Jesus made really clear you need to do. Basically, they go onto this kind of, um, they, they went to incredible lengths to twist the scripture and to use theology in order to unlove somebody else. Why don't you honor your father and your mother? Because you say, well, if a man says to his father and mother, whatever help you might otherwise have received um, from me is actually, mm, sorry, um, I, I know you need help, but you just missed the window. I just allocated that to God. It was already earmarked. Because you say that what you received has already been devoted as a gift to God. And so verse six, actually, he's not actually able to honor his father with it. Sorry. Like, I know it says honor your father and mother, but then there's this other rule that maybe you haven't heard about. And that's the whole devote your stuff to God rule. And so that trumps the honor your father rule. So thank you for raising me. Appreciate it. Jewish Sunday school is amazing. I'm thankful for all you've done. And I know that Jesus has commanded me to love the way that he's loved me, but there's this whole thing, like an effort to be spiritual. We've actually devoted all of our stuff to God, or we just had the ceremony. And the whole thing was made up. Like they hadn't done anything with the money. It was just this ceremony of dedicating it to God. They probably sang some songs, 
All of it's his. We surrender all. Now, we're not actually doing anything. We haven't done anything to give it to God, but we're just letting you know it's devoted to him. And because it's devoted to him on a technicality, we're not able to help anybody else with that's God's stuff. And so basically, they dedicated their possessions to God and then manufactured a rule to not do what God had told them to do and to somehow circumvent the whole honor your father and mother thing. Love your father and mother thing. And thus, Jesus said this, you nullify the word of God for the sake of your tradition, your denomination, what your grandma told you. The fact that in that brand of Christianity, everybody tw twists the scripture and they just make it normative. So you're just, you're doing what everybody else does. And you nullify the word of God. Basically, and come on, we're all guilty of this at some level. You take what is really, really clear, like uh, it's kind of in there, honor your father. You take what there's really not a lot of ambiguity about. You take what is really clear and then you actually use it and leverage it to fog up what is clear in order to serve your purposes. Okay, so Jesus, what do you, th what do you think about that? This is Jesus' next word. You hypocrites, you hypocrites. Are you serious? Like, this is so clear. This is so undeniable. This is so, you can't miss this. And yet somehow, and I'm gonna give you guys credit, you Pharisees, you have found a way to find a loophole, a workaround, an escape clause to justify ignoring what God clearly said in order to suit your purposes and not do what God is asking you to do. And come on, 2,000 years later, if we could be really, really honest, we do the same thing in different ways and generally maybe we're more sophisticated about it, but that's how we can treat people however we want and somehow supersede the other commands that God has given us, specifically the one command that is over all other commands and feel like we're cool with God. And Jesus is like, Bryant, you're a hypocrite. Now, so just real quick, I did this with the first service and they just didn't really seem into it. So I'm gonna try it again um, with this service. But if some of you have wanted to say that, that phrase in church your whole life, so I'm gonna give you the opportunity. 9 a.m. did not take advantage of it, but just that you're, you hypocrite, just say that with me real quick so we're all on the same page, all right? I'm gonna count to three um, or it'll go off the rails. One, two, three. You hypocrite! Thank you. Um, <laughs> That's what I was going for right there. And I didn't get any of it from the 9 a.m. You nullify the word of God. You're a hypocrite. And then he says from Isaiah, these people, they honor me with their lips. There is so much talk. There is so much pretension. But their hearts, what really matters to God, what's going on inside of them, it is so far from me. And here's the thing. Anytime we start looking for loopholes and justification, and I don't think it really says that. And yeah, but you know, and based on what they did, what they're doing, what, how they're behaving, the moment you start looking for those, you're already guilty. And I'm not pointing a finger at you. I, I'm pointing a finger at me. And embarrassingly, there's been moments of my life where I'm, I'm trying to justify and I, you know, studied the, theology my whole life so I can just make up stuff and it's convincing, but I don't think it actually says it. I think what God means, I think the intent, you know. And if I would just stop to recognize it's not even about the commands, it's about the intent of the commander. What all of this was supposed to be about. 
and I'm justifying something that at the end of the day, if I would just ask myself, is this helping me be a better husband to my wife? Is this helping me love my kids the way that God's called me to live? Is this actually helping me be more submitted and yielded to the spirit of God or is it, just, it, a, or is it a distraction? And I can come up with all the theological gymnastics and I can find verses and I can point to whatever commentary or look at the original Hebrew or Greek. But at the end of the day, if my answer to those questions is no, then I'm a hypocrite. Because Jesus doesn't like it when we use his father's words to avoid doing his father's will. And we can all be guilty of that. And I get it, man. You can just get into like this brand of Christianity. And we talked about it throughout this series where it just becomes normative. And some of you know what I'm talking about. Everybody does this. Everybody twists the text. Everybody's cheering each other on. And then people look from the outside to go, what? You look nothing like Jesus. And, and we get so confused and all of a sudden, specifically like in our culture in the West, the United States, we, we create these versions of Christianity where we merge faith and politics. And we start to get into these, these echo chambers where we'll start to actually justify counterintuitive Jesus behaviors. And we will start to justify behaviors and leadership because it somehow in our minds furthers the agenda of Jesus and we'll rip out verses that, well, Jesus said, and then we'll ignore whole segments of the scripture. And you know, it can get to a place where people will point to scriptures as their reason to mistreat or unlove somebody else and they'll do it in Jesus' name. I think one of the things I was thinking about is I love history. And history is a double-edged sword. As I said already, specifically Christian history, it is, it is wounding, it is embarrassing, and then there's sides of it where it has changed the world. And both of those things are true. But one of the things that I pray for me, and I pray this quite a bit actually, is that Christian history and the history of loophole Christians of which I could be a part of hopefully that history will keep me and will keep us humble. Because I mean, just let me just give one example. Just point to the civil rights history of the church in other generations, where they would, they would practice blatant racism of one person couldn't date or marry somebody else because there were different races or different ethnicities. And they would pull a passage of scripture completely out of context of Moses marrying a Moabite woman and couldn't go into the promised land. None of those things are related. And they would get in pulpits and they would hammer them and Jesus said, and they would justify their blatant racism using a verse of scripture. And I think every once in a while, I just like to ask myself the question, what is it possible that I'm justifying in Jesus' name that's not gonna age well? And that maybe in, in, in light of the clarity of the spirit of God in the days ahead will recognize that, that that isn't what Jesus intended at all. Cause we all know this, you can justify anything and you can have Jesus followers that are arguing about the same stuff using the same verses. And you know how you do that? You just become a loophole Christian. You just decide 
I don't think it says that. I don't think it applies to me. This one commentary said, or I watched this guy on YouTube, and then you create sin lists that change with every generation, and they generally always support the leaders of those movements, or you decide that the ends justify the means, and you end up honoring Jesus with your lips, but your heart and the movement becomes far from him. It's why Jesus, knowing our propensity for what is comfortable, for what is beneficial to serve our purposes, because it's in all of us, our propensity to use theology and hide behind theology, gathers his, his guys, gathers his followers and says, listen, if you forget everything else, I, I just want to talk to you guys about the intent of the one who commanded all of this and the intent behind every decision that you make. And here's what he says. It's not gonna be a surprise to you. A new command I give you, John 13, 34. Love one another. Love one another. I wish I could give you more, but guys, this is the entire movement. This is the entire filter for every decision. Like this is it. And then Jesus, as we've said throughout the series, will put on a demonstration of this that would blow them away when he would give up his life, lay down his life for their sake. A new command I give you, love one another the way that I have loved you. And Jesus' followers in the first century, they took hold of this and it was the thing that propelled every decision that they made. And then Paul comes along and Paul writes a letter to Roman Christians under the shadow of Nero's circus. Christians who are willing to go into Colosseums and rather than being motivated to kill, which is what the other gods would do, they were motivated to die. And in the shadow of Nero's circus, watch how far Paul pushes this. This became the filter, and we'll talk about this at length next week, don't miss it, became the filter to bring clarity to everything. Here's what Paul wrote to those Christians. Let no debt remain outstanding, meaning pay your debts, except the continuing debt to love one another. Meaning, we sang about a few minutes ago, like my only response when I recognize in, in light of me, my past, my history, God's relentless love, the only thing I can do, man, is be led to gratitude, be led to worship because I know me better than you know me. You know you better than anybody else knows you. And so Paul's like, listen, not that God you know, is looking for you to pay him back. You can't pay him back. This is the gospel. This is good news. God did it all. But I'm just talking about in terms of natural response. When you understand God's love, when you understand what God has done, you should get up every single day with a continuing debt to love other people around you, to love them the way that God has loved you to forgive them the way that God has forgiven you, to move toward your enemy the way that God moved toward you at one time as his enemy. You are to get up every day as a continuing debt of love to love one another. And I'm just telling you, this is revolutionary. Love one another for whoever loves others has, help me out with the next word. For whoever loves other has fulfilled the entire law. Oh, you can't find a verse? You're not sure what it said? You lost your Bible a while ago? App won't download on your phone? And you're just wondering, is Jesus cool with this? If you do this, you fulfilled the entire law, even without a verse. All the things we know about, don't commit adultery, check. Don't murder, 
check, don't steal, check, don't covet. Those are all pretty basic. And then I love this. I love that Paul writes this. And whatever other command you find, whatever other loophole you're after, with whatever other verse you're using to justify your behavior and to somehow circumvent or override the command that is above every other command. Paul's just like, let me take care of all of them. Whatever other command there may be are summed up, fall under the heading of this one command. And come on, this is what I've said throughout the series. But this is terrifyingly clear. This is... I don't get his way with as much stuff. I can't justify as much stuff. It is, I almost always know what to do. Summed up in one command, to love your neighbor as yourself. To love your neighbor as God has loved you. And Paul got this from Jesus. Guy who wanted to kill Christians and then became one. Hey, Jesus, what's the greatest command? This is it. Love God. Not by your sacrifice, not by your songs, Go to a community group, that's amazing. You've learned a bunch of verses. You did a year and a half of seminary. Congratulations, All, not by any of those things. I want you to love me by loving you, loving your neighbor, loving your enemy. And all of the rest of scripture is application of and commentary on that. And if you don't understand that, you will misapply the scripture. In fact, I think Jesus would say, listen, love you, don't you dare. Use a block of scripture or a passage to unlove or mistreat somebody else in Jesus' name. You hypocrite. Because Jesus follows. And if you're not one, you can just, again, you can stand on the outside and just point fingers and call us hypocrites. Go for it. You're not accountable to any of this. If you're a follower of Jesus, if you're a disciple of Jesus, if you ever take this brand seriously, what Jesus introduced and launched, we ask different questions. And it's not how much can I get by with. Jesus followers don't look for loopholes and workarounds of, yeah, because of and how they treated and what they did and how they're destroying our country and what she, the fact that she walked out and my adult kid and what they said to me. And they don't look for how low can we go. They ask different questions of how can I, I love the way that Jesus is loved because that is transformational. And when you live that kind of brand of the Jesus movement, the scripture doesn't become a mace. It's a mirror. It is. What about me? What's going on with me? Like what, what's going on in my heart? Where am I way off from what Jesus originally intended? Where am I trying to justify behaviors and find loopholes in Jesus' name? And suddenly all of the self-righteous starts to dissipate and all of the lack of self-awareness from the self-righteousness starts to go away and you recognize the position that every follower of Jesus should be in and that is the lowly position of I'm not better, I may just be found in Jesus. I'm not better, I'm just forgiven. I do not have the moral high ground on anybody. God knew me at my worst and loved me anyway and that's gonna inform my posture toward every single individual in every realm of my life because I know me better than you know me and I've been saved by the radical grace of Jesus. And the scripture is not weaponized as a bat to show you your thing. It is for me to recognize I fall short. I need a savior. I want to invite you to follow Jesus because it's just all of us and it's Jesus and nobody has the moral high ground. 
followers of Jesus, just ask this question. This is what I've been trying to lead our church in almost since we started this church. This defining question. Not what were you taught. Not what you can get by with. Not what four of your friends are encouraging you to do because everybody agrees. Not what verse you found. Not the commentary that's like, yeah, well, I think it. What does love demand of you? Whatever's going on in your life right now, in light of what's happening in your marriage right now, what does love demand of you? I know what they did and I know how bad it is. And I, what you're trying to walk through right now and parenting your kids and you are at a loss. Your adult children that seem really far away. The addiction that you're trying to manage. The anger that you feel toward them, toward him, toward her, toward those people. The fact that emotionally you're not healthy and you're trying to figure it out and what's the way forward. What does love demand of you? Because come on, isn't it true if you were to really sincerely ask that question, it almost moves you entirely past all of the self-deception. And you almost always know. And that's the thing that's difficult for me. Because they're legitimately, there's some stuff that I, I feel like I'd give my life for. I, I think historically the evidence around Jesus' resurrection is, is irrefutable and you can study that for yourself. But if you're investigating, that's the place to start. And it just, it clarifies a lot for me. But then there's a bunch of other nuances of theology and scripture. I don't know. I don't know. Got a lot of education, graduate degree, degrees, studied theology for a long time. I don't know. Not sure. But you know what I almost always know the answer to? What? does love demand of me? And it supersedes all that other stuff. And come on, this isn't easier. And we're gonna look at this next week. Do not miss next week. This will take you beyond what's fair. This will take you beyond your favorite verses and passage. This will take you beyond what other people are saying into your life. Maybe even other church leaders. This will, just mark it down. This will draw you out of your comfort zone because people who decide to be disciples and followers of Jesus in this way, they end up doing something that's crazy in our current culture. They actually talk to people rather than talk about people. It will, just mark it down. If you don't wanna do this, don't sign up for it. If you wanna actually follow Jesus, this is what's gonna happen. You will be drawn out into relationships with people who are not like you. You will suddenly be drawn into dinner parties and into relationships and into conversations you never thought you had. And you won't be drawn in to be some condescending, let me come with my knowledge of scripture and my righteousness. You will come into those as just a fellow imago day, made in the image of God, don't have it all together. I'm just trying to point people to Jesus and you'll learn stuff and you will be humbled and God will move you into places where you love at a different level. And I'm telling you, I think that's more and more rare, but that's the brand of the Jesus movement. And when you take Jesus seriously, that's what's going to happen. And I can just tell you with my wife and I, there's been several times, I'm not going to give specifics, where we've looked at each other in crazy scenarios, at dinner parties, and with people, and in environments where we're like, how did we end up here? And I feel very uncomfortable. And simultaneously, I feel in the center of God's will for my life in terms of wanting to follow Jesus well. And whatever you're struggling with right now, and I don't know what it is, but just to make it personal, where maybe you even agree with all of that, but you're just struggling, man. You're just, it just, the marriage is not gonna survive in your mind. You're not gonna reconcile the relationship. You don't know what to do with that kid. 
you're trying to find mental health and emotional health and you just constantly are running up against a brick wall. You, you wanna let go of that addiction. You feel so lacking in peace. And I know how layered those stories are and I can't speak to all of them. I just tell you this, you show me a man or woman that gets up every single day feeling this continuing debt to love the way that God has loved them to answer the question in that situation and circumstance, I wonder what love demands of me. That is a transformational question. That'll begin to change stuff in your marriage and your family and your neighborhood that you cannot even imagine. And listen, I get it. For some of you, you have a thousand questions, which I'm gonna try to deal with some of those in the next two weeks. And we're, I'm gonna really get specific next week. But you're like, I got so many questions. J Brian, what about, what about, what about, what about? So let me just end by answering your question with a question to take a page from Jesus' book. Are you glad that God didn't look for a loophole when it came to his love for you? I get you have questions, I'm not sure, and I, yeah, but I, aren't you glad that God didn't look for a loophole when it came to his love for you? I mean, come on, I, I feel as accountable as anybody because God has, has given me so much in my life in terms of amazing family and parents and faith that was anchored in me at an early age. But I feel so accountable because with all of that, do you know how many promises I've broken? Do you know how many times I've let God down? Do you know how many times I've been the loophole guy and so far from what Jesus has for my life? And the fact that he would continue to pursue and love me and I know me better than you know me and you know you better than anybody else knows you. And come on, that God would love you in that way. What's your excuse again? What's your verse again? What, what's your block of theology again to avoid unloving or loving somebody else? Because we've given God so many outs. And of course, it's easier to do what you've always done. Of course, it's easier to get into that brand of Christianity where we just attend churches where everybody just says what we already believe and already think. And we always feel comfortable. But what if you begin to actually follow Jesus and sincerely ask this question, what does love demand of me? And I don't know what's gonna happen, but I can just tell you this from history. That is a transformational question. That marriage that is gone, 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 there's a potential that it could resurrect that marriage. That adult kid that walked away a long time ago and that your apology is only gonna do so much by the power of the spirit of God, it has the potential it could resurrect that relationship. The fact that you, you can't find emotional health and move to that place of love, joy, peace, and contentment, it has the ability to awaken something in your soul where you find what Jesus is offering. So what does love demand of you? What does love demand of us? And over the next two weeks, I'm gonna get uncomfortably specific about what love demands of us. And I'll just tell you this, it, it has the power. It could be the catalyst for your life to change. And it could be the catalyst for the person that you invite for their life to change. So wherever you're at, would you just pray with me online via radio? Would you just pray with me right now? Jesus, I thank you for what you're doing in this moment. The scripture says that your word is living and powerful. To quote the author of Hebrews, it is sharper 
than any two-edged sword piercing to the division of soul and spirit and joints and marrow, meaning it gets into the places where we're not seeing it, where we haven't had clarity about it, where we've been hiding behind some stuff with a verse and our, our lips honor you, but our hearts are far from you. I pray that you would do your thing by the power of your word and your spirit in this moment. That for some, this may be the first step in terms of a catalytic change that you're gonna bring to our life. And I just pray that we all get around the understanding it's not gonna be comfortable. And that when you come with the power of your word, it hits us like a scalpel, but never like a knife. That you're gonna come and you're gonna expose things and reveal things and move us to a place of not being comfortable, but you're also gonna bring the full weight of your grace and your love. And so do your thing in us individually, do your thing in this church for what I sincerely believe are the beginning stages of just God doing something and awakening something that's gonna change our city and community. We give you all of the glory. It's in the name of Jesus we pray this, amen. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this message or have been impacted by Centerpoint Church in any way, would you consider helping us out in one of two ways? First, if you would just spread the word, share this message with your friends, family. Maybe you could go rate and review our podcast on your favorite podcast catcher, but this helps us so much more than you know. And secondly, this ministry is supported by people like you through their financial generosity. And so if you've been impacted by any of these messages, would you consider giving to support the mission and vision of Centerpoint to see people reach with the radical grace of Jesus? You can give today on our website at centerpointfl.org. And again, that's centerpointfl.org.